following podcast is a Jill Divine Media production. Christianity has become known for judgy people, strange words, ancient stories, confusing rules, and a members-only mindset. This is why I stayed away from the church for so long, but it's not supposed to be that way. I'm Jill Devine, a former radio personality with three tattoos, a love for a good tequila, and who's never read the entire Bible. Yet, here I am hosting a podcast about faith. The Normal Goes a Long Way podcast is your home for real conversations with real people using real language about how faith and real life intersect. Welcome to the conversation. Okay, we are going to get into this week's conversation about storytelling again. And this week's guest, I'll first introduce Laura Fleetwood is here with me, as most times you are. (laughs) And uh, this week's guest is Jennifer Prophet. And Jennifer Prophet was actually one of the first people in the congregation of the church that I attend that I met because of my job and because of what... I do with community groups at my church, we got connected mm-hmm. and oh my gosh, Jennifer, I, like, I am wanting to become a better neighbor because of you and I'm learning so much and you're normal and that's what this podcast <laughs> is about. So I am so excited to talk to you. Welcome to Normal Goes a Long Way. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I'm a listener, so... Yes. Yes. Oh, that's exciting. It's fun to be on here. Um, I thought that maybe we could start with what you do for a living, where you live, and then Mm -hmm. we'll go from there. Sure. So um, I work for an organization that's called Lutheran Hour Ministries, which is a a Christian mass media company, basically. Um, But we're working on this and I I do a number of things with them, but we're working on this specific project called the Hopeful Neighborhood Project. Um, And that project is uh, actually meant to be for all neighbors. So obviously Christians are neighbors, but lots of people are neighbors. Um, And so the project itself is really just about helping an everyday person be, um, kind of pursue the common good with the people that live around them. So inspiring and equipping people to um, just create a hopeful neighborhood right where they live. When I first heard that, I didn't quite understand until we (laughs) started talking more. And I think it's very easy when you think about being a a good Christian neighbor. This is my opinion. Like Mm -hmm. you are going to your neighbors and you're saying, let's go to church or here's a Bible or here's Mm -hmm. a pamphlet because Mm -hmm. that still happens. People will come to Mm -hmm. your door and they'll have pamphlets and they'll have this. And it can be very off-putting to some people. And that's what I would love to change. Like, it doesn't have to be that. It can be. Mm-hmm. But I don't think people realize how many different things they can do to be a good Christian neighbor. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, when I think about what Jesus said, he said, love your neighbor mm-hmm. as yourself. Uh-huh. He didn't say, try to convert them, you know, to Christianity <laughs> right. or you right. know, just love them. Like, right. Know them and love them. So, yeah, we're excited to hear more about that and also just more about your life because you've lived a fascinating life. And (laughs) I've been in lots of neighborhoods, let's say that. (laughs) Yes, that's a perfect way to say it. So, kind of just give us the 30,000 foot overview of your life's journey and how you got to 
where you are today at Lutheran Hour Ministries. Sure. Um, so I grew up in, we'll start at the beginning, beginning, because it's a very unique um, upbringing. I grew up on a ranch 20 miles from the nearest town. So you um, so it could be said that um, I didn't have much of a neighborhood, but actually I had a really robust neighborhood. Um, a, a rural setting, especially further away from a town, um, really takes care of each other. So there's there's really that element of, you know, the, the nearest emergency services of any type can't get to you for 20 minutes. So the person who lives a mile from you is the person you rely on when you need anything. You can't get to the store if there's a blizzard, if there's if your power goes out, all of those things you rely on your neighbors and your neighborhood. And so it was really it was a really a beautiful upbringing. I've been playing with this story over time. And, and one of the things that I realized in playing with that story is I grew up in a hopeful neighborhood because there's there's nothing that I thought my neighbors couldn't accomplish together. We fought like we fought mm. prairie fires. We literally fought fires together. Like that's just what how I grew up. Um, so then I moved to urban Chicago, which does seem like a big shift, right? <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. <laughs> um, but once I got there and kind of got over the 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 visual differences, I realized that there was a lot in an urban neighborhood that was really similar to my my rural upbringing. Um, there's a lot of we have to rely on each other because we don't know um, who else will come to our rescue. We don't know who else we can trust. And the particular neighborhood I was in, um, there was a lot of uh, a lot of distrust of the police, um, particularly around issues of immigration and that kind of thing. And so there there wasn't the same kind of like just call nine one one and they'll fix your problems. It was call your neighbor to help them uh, to help you. What I, what I recognized there in terms of, you know, Christian witness was that I was working for a school that was on the cor- a street corner. It had been there almost 100 years, and yet the neighborhood didn't know about it. Like, they, they just, they walked by it every day and didn't know what it did or anything, um, which was crazy to me and still is somewhat crazy to me. Um, and so because I was young and single and didn't have anything better to do, I decided to start going to this community development meeting, uh, this group, and I don't even know how I found them, to be honest, and just started living into just being in the neighborhood and understanding the neighbors and what that meant. And that led to my first community development project, actually. Uh, Our school had been looking for um, how we could get a playground for our kids because we didn't have any money, and we just had this, like, slab of concrete for the kids to play on um and just randomly you could say um a a man from one of from the community development group walked up to me at a meeting and said you know we've got this kaboom playground grant uh and we're just looking for some space to put a playground and we notice that your school has space next to it we wonder if you want to partner together and so um it's it's a beautiful example of how um in, in our Hopeful Neighborhood Project, we talk a lot about gifting and how you just kind of use your gifts and are willing to share your gifts. And it's a great example of how just putting a bunch of different organizations and people's gifts together, you can really do something for your neighborhood. So our school had land. Our school also had Christian churches that had a lot of volunteers. Um, our school had parents and children who could speak into part of the Kaboom Playground build process is that you have to get neighborhood involvement. So you have to, the kids got to pick what 
aspects they wanted on their playground and the parents got to you know say what hours that should be open and you know those kinds of things and then everyone came for a big build day the Chicago Bears were there oh it was my. this this really big deal that would have only been possible had um, we all been working organizationally and personally as neighbors and so that really kind of what my appetite for this kind of of work together. Um, and then as God does, he took me out of that environment completely in an unexpected way. Um, I began working with a lot internationally. So I learned a lot about how neighborhoods work in different places. Um, I moved to St. Louis, um, lived in a, a neighborhood where if I took a walk, I could I could meet someone from every continent on a 10 minute walk wow. in my neighborhood. It was amazing. Um, and then I came to Lutheran Hour and uh, started working with the Hopeful Neighborhood Project. In the meantime, um, I got married, and my husband is Haitian, uh, grew up in Haiti. And so as we were building a life together, we just bought a house and did what we both grew up in as we just started taking walks every night to meet our neighbors. We didn't realize until later not everyone does that. (laughs) So we've always had really great relationships in our neighborhood and known a lot of neighbors because we just didn't realize that's not what people do today, um, but our life has been really enriched from it. And now it's much more intentional for me as I've learned more about just this concept of neighboring. So there's the 30,000 foot view plus a little. <laughs> that, that was great because I love how you have experienced this concept of being a neighbor in so many different environments. And I think that some of us use an excuse almost if we live in suburbia Mm -hmm. like well everybody just wants their privacy Mm -hmm. and you know it's weird because in suburbia we are in such close proximity physically like our Mm -hmm. houses are literally (laughs) almost on top of each other right and yet we're not in close proximity relationally right right and so I wonder if you can just speak to that dichotomy if living in in rural America and you know right in the middle of the city America there's this sense of community and helping your neighbors why why do you think it's so different here in the suburbs yeah well um there's probably lots of reasons why and there's lots of books and research about this type of thing um some quick anecdotes is you know in the 50s um there was a study that um they asked people, you know, what makes a good neighbor? And it was things like, I can call on them in crisis. They watch my kids, you know, that, that kind of thing, the way, the way that I grew up. Um, when the same question is asked now, the answer is things like their neighbors, good neighbors are quiet. Good neighbors leave you alone. Good neighbors give you your privacy. Um, and so, so people who are just trying to be good neighbors are doing the opposite of what good neighbors used to do or do what did when I was growing up. So I think in some ways it's it's uh, it's coming from a good intentioned place. How we're trying to be good neighbors is is well intentioned, but maybe it doesn't have the outcomes that actually get us to a place where we want to be as a society, which is just living more peacefully and um, with less division, with more love and understanding. And some of that really starts by just being open to knowing your neighbors. Um, 
So we have started to use the term a more engaged neighbor rather than good neighbor. Oh, um, I like that. So that it's really just living in presence, living with some margin in your life. So when you have, um, so I'll confess to our listeners that I was 10 minutes late today because I was having a bus stop conversation with one of my neighbors. It's uh, just kind of living, trying to live with some some margin in your life and just intentionally engaging with the people that that you live around. Um, and so I don't really know why we made the shift of it's just mm. good neighbors. Some people say it's air conditioning. Some people say it's social media. Some people say it's the garage doors or it's the structure of our backyards. Um, none of those things are going to change. So I don't spend a lot of time thinking about why. I think I spend more time thinking about, well, what can I, how can I live in a way that just makes it better? It's interesting to me too, to think this for me personally is we are in a suburb, mm-hmm. and I have often dreamt about going to a more rural area mm-hmm. and having some acreage. But at the same time, when I think about that and I think, oh, my next-door neighbor might be a mile away, mm-hmm. that bothers me. Mm-hmm. However, it's not like I am in my subdivision hanging out with my neighbors all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's a it's a really weird concept to me on that as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. It is very interesting because at the, at the same time that we think, oh, being a good neighbor means giving them their privacy and mm-hmm. being respectful by not intruding and things like that, Americans are more lonely yes. than ever. Right, right. And so mm-hmm. it's like we feel isolated <laughs> relationally, and yet we're surrounded by people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I just wonder why. Yeah. Well, because I think we we somehow think someone wants to be left alone, but we don't want to be left alone. So, you know, if someone, like, knocks on my door and gives me cookies, I'm not going to be mad about it, yeah. right? But if I think to myself, let me go knock on this person's door and give them cookies, I'm like, I don't know, that might be interrupting. I mean, I don't feel like it would be interrupting me, so I don't know why I think it mm-hmm. it feels like it would be interrupting them. But I, I'm guessing I'm not alone in that, that we just don't want to um, – we're not, we're not translating our own feelings into what other people must be feeling. Yeah, I mean, I've, I don't want somebody, as soon as my garage door opens, to come right on in. <laughs> right. But I would like to have a little bit more community. And I right. guess it's, I'm like, it's on my terms. And, you know, <laughs> but, well, well, let me, let me draw back to the name of the podcast, Normal Goes a Long Way. So, yeah. Nobody wants, like, anyone prancing in their garage door first thing when they're home. That's not normal. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's weird. Right. Okay. You know, that's yeah. not, like, reading social cues. The woman has grocery bags in her hand, right? <laughs> Let her go put them down. Um. <laughs> I guess that's what I'm afraid of, are those who don't read social cues. <laughs> right. And there are some out there. And you know what? God loves them, too. Yes, and they've they, got gifts. Yep, yep. They've got gifts, and they have gifts to share in your neighborhood because, you know, you, you can use those gifts. Um But I think if you're thinking about how do I be a good and engaged neighbor, right? How do I? It's number one, trying to read those social cues. Number two, being available. Figuring out what are some ways I can hang out outside doing things that I like to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I like to walk. So I walk. I don't drive to a park to walk. I walk in my neighborhood because then I'm really familiar with everyone and everything that's going on. Um, So it's it's, uh, just kind of being intentional um, about being present in your neighborhood. Gosh, that's the word, intentional. And that word is coming up in so many areas in my life right now. <laughs> it's all about 
just doing the thing. And you, when you said that, I had this image in my mind. I live on the corner of our street. So all of the parents gather like right in front of our house for the kids when mm-hmm. it's time to get on and off the bus. Now, we've never had kids who ride the bus. So I've never been part of that group. But when you said that, I'm like, wow, I could literally just like when they're all gathered there, walk out and say like, hey, here's some donuts. You know, um, you're always here in front of my house and I've never met you. So I just wanted you to know we're we're available if you need anything. But I never thought of that until just now. <laughs> right. It's so weird. I think that's a really it's a really good point is intentionality. Um, it's also one thing that that we talk about in our training because sometimes if people have lived in a place for a long time and they haven't done it, they're like, well, now I don't want to start. That's going to seem weird. (laughs) Right. So you just name the elephant. Like I've seen you out here for a long time and I love like how, how you're talking. And I just wanted, you know, to encourage that. So I brought you some water or I brought you this candy or donuts or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, so just naming it can really diffuse the situation and then make it feel normal. Um, and you can really gain some good friends, some people that you can call on if, if you need something. Um, and I think in a world where we're really, we're, we're divided by so many things. We're divided by interests. We're divided sometimes by ethnicity. We're divided into, and we, we tend to, we have so many options. We tend to go to groups we're comfortable in. Neighboring is one of the best places that I've found where I can meet people that are different than me, have different beliefs, different whatever, in a really natural setting. I don't have to manufacture it. We, we both live on the same street. We share the same address. Um, by fate or mm-hmm. <laughs> or or um, whatever you want to ascribe that to. Um, there's there's a book called Placed for a Purpose um, where a couple really began to, to realize that they, they likely didn't just live at, you know, 1718 Elm Street um, on accident, that God placed them there for a purpose um, and that they wanted to live intentionally in that. So um, that's kind of how I think about uh that the benefits I'm going to get from neighboring is that I'll meet people that have had different experiences than me, that have different contacts than me, that have different uh, viewpoints than me. And that's that's a real growth experience for me. Um, it's also a real opportunity for them to meet someone different as well. So my I mentioned my husband's Haitian. Our family is a biracial family on this street. Um, you know, people ask us and are able to talk with us about a lot of different different things because they don't they don't know a lot of families like ours and so just the fact that we're open we learn from them but then they can learn from us as well that's probably a great transition into another thing that we want to talk to you about is that biracial relationship well first of all I was listening to what you were saying about being single and you're going to Chicago into this diverse area Mm -hmm. and you're going into these community outreach programs and and you can tell me if I'm wrong I'm Mm -hmm. assuming are you one of many white women that are going in there or very few um very few although in an urban environment you will find a lot of um like social worker, community developer type young white women. <laughs> so, so there was a few of us, um, which has its benefits and its drawbacks because then you, you're definitely in a group. So I definitely was coming in with people having certain assumptions about me. Okay, so that 
that would scare me, I guess. Like, uh-huh. that's very brave of you to do that in the first place. And, and that blows my mind right there. Well, I will say this about myself and anyone who might be like this. I am afraid of everything. I always have been. And so when you're afraid of everything, you get so good at overcoming your fears. Sometimes you do really, really brave things that you don't know they're brave. Like, well, also going to the store is brave for me. <laughs> so, so I don't always recognize something that is really brave because I've just learned how to overcome fear. Um, so for anyone else who's like that, you can do some pretty amazing things because you're really good at just getting out of bed and going to the store. (laughs) It is one of those things where I try to put myself in your shoes and I can't. Mm -hmm. Um, You're saying you would never move to a city (laughs) as a single woman all by yourself. And no, not at all. Not at all. And like, I want to change the world. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's a big statement. I want to I want to do good. I want to help others. I want to be that uplifting person for Mm -hmm. people and show them all these different things, which I guess this is what this podcast is. But to go outside of my comfort zone, I just want to explore and learn more about the city that I grew up in and that born and raised. Like, I mean, I know I'm in the suburbs, but I've also worked in the city and I don't feel that I have completely embraced that. Uh, there's so many good thoughts running through my mind now. Number one is one of the things that we talk a lot about in our in our program um, and through Lutheran Hour Ministries is giftings and knowing your gifts. Um, and we have, we say, discover the gifts, um, then grow your gifts, uh, and then be generous with your gifts. And so I think one of the first things before you're like, I want to go out and do like these things for other people is actually getting comfortable with what your gifts are, Mm. right? Be comfortable with yourself, be authentic, and then be generous with them. And so that doesn't mean, so one of my gifts is actually um, cross-cultural, like I just really love different kinds of people. Um, And I can use that kind of gift, for example, in Chicago, I didn't build a playground that's still there, you know, 15 years later that kids play on. The neighborhood did. I didn't do it. It wasn't me because I'm, you know, um, a girl from Nebraska or because I have white skin or because I was single and had time. I just have this gift of sort of not being afraid to show up in places that are different than me. And that unleashed the gifts of all these other people. So when you know your gift and you're just generous with it, it'll often be a catalyst that opens up other people's gifts, whether it's in your neighborhood or just in your life. But that's the great thing about being in a neighborhood, too, is you don't actually have to go anywhere. You just have to be brave enough to stand in your front yard and be willing to be generous with your gifts, which one of your gifts is asking great questions and listening to people. That can be used in your neighborhood. That can be used anywhere. Um, But it can really unleash other people's gifts in world-changing ways. Ask any world changer. They will tell you they're not a world changer. They're just doing what felt natural to them, right? That's what world changers do. Well, that also ties into something that you and I have talked about outside of this podcast on a number of occasions is helping in your neighborhood that Mm -hmm. it's very easy and Laura you and I experienced this at a conference we went to Um, it was about helping the community and I had already known this because Jennifer you and Mm -hmm. I talked about it but it's very easy for individuals 
when they say, we want to help. We want to help our community. So we're going to go to the inner city. It's just mm-hmm. a popular phrase. And uh-huh. and you had said to me, so many people think that, but what's happening in your neighborhood is what you should focus on. Like, you do not understand. If you go to your local fire mm-hmm. department and police department, you will find out that your neighborhood needs the help and you need Mm -hmm. to start there. And that's exactly what they also said at this conference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's things like putting a library. Mm -hmm. I know we see them, but like a little free, take a book, bring a book. Or planting a garden or even raking your neighbor's leaves. Or I know people at our church they just baked cookies for people and just delivered them and Mm -hmm. that's just as impactful if not I don't want to say more but we can't fix Mm -hmm. things and I think that's what the mindset is of a lot of people as Christians we have this term love your neighbor um, and we know it we 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 preach it we teach it but somehow um, if you ask um, if you go to the story of the Good Samaritan and people say, well, who is, you know, the, the, the Pharisee ask uh, Jesus, who is your neighbor? And he gave the story of the Good Samaritan. Um, and and somehow we've come up with out of that, which is a, a true statement that everyone's your neighbor. Jennifer, for those listeners who aren't familiar with that story, do you mind giving us a quick recap? Yes, yes, thank you for that. Um, so the story Jesus told, the, the parable or the story that he told to teach a lesson was a, a man was robbed on the side of the road uh, and left on the side of the road. Um, and uh, he was beaten and he was in really bad shape. Um, he was was from Israel, um, a nation in the Old Testament. And two men uh, walked by him and didn't do anything. They didn't help him. They just went on the other side of the road. Um, and and uh, they were men of faith um, who just didn't, for whatever religious reasons or personal reasons, didn't do anything to help. A third man came and helped him, bandaged him, took him to an inn, paid for him, and he was a Samaritan. Um, so he was from a, an, actually an enemy of Israel. Um, and so the, the lesson that some people will take out of that story is that everyone is your neighbor. It doesn't matter where they're from or what their belief system might be. Everyone's your neighbor and they, they you know, deserve your love and respect. And that is an absolute true statement. But sometimes then what we've, we've not recognized about that story is that proximity matters. So we've been, it's been easy to say, okay, so I'll love the person over there and not the person close to me. But remember those teachers of the the law, those men of faith walked on the other side of the road. They weren't willing to be close to the pain. They didn't want um, that proximity. Um, but the Samaritan just you know, went to the side of the road, bandaged him, took him. And so I think there's a real lesson in that story that proximity matters. And it it doesn't mean you can't do good in other places. You know, I've spent time cross-culturally, but I think it does mean, it does teach us that proximity really does matter in loving our neighbor. Your, Your actual neighbor is a part of that command, not just the people that feel the safest or the most convenient to you, 
And sometimes that's because they're over there. And so it doesn't deal with my life here. It's it's harder to see pain that's close to you. The widow next door to me that's probably going to talk for three hours if I stop by is harder to love than taking three hours and going somewhere else uh, and just spending that three hours. But then I never have to see them again. So I never have to worry about that mm-hmm. conversation again. So we've often picked going somewhere else as a convenient way because it doesn't impact our life um, beyond our control. That makes me think again about what you said earlier in terms of building margin in our lives, Mm -hmm. right? Because I felt this kind of overwhelm start to rise in me as you were just talking because I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm already so stressed out. And now I have to like care for my widow neighbor, you know, and right, like, and, right. and I can it's barely real. care for myself and my kids and, and my husband. And then I, it, I go, wait a minute, you know, that's my problem. Like it's another indicator to me that right now I'm overscheduled. I am committed to too many things and maybe I'm focusing more on tasks rather than relationships in my life. So that was kind of a convicting Uh moment for me (laughs) right right there. That, yeah, we're meant to have margin so that when we see pain or we see needs, we have the capacity to respond. And if we're already filled to the top of our heads emotionally and physically, then we don't have that, that capacity. And that's something I'm learning as well. So I'm just speaking for any of you out there who are feeling the same way and going, right. how do I add neighboring to my, my list? Um, I think we can start really, really small yes, and still think, make a big impact. Right. Right. And for that, hap- that happens to me all the time. You know, I get, I get 20 minutes to walk, you know, on a regular day, on a good day, on a good day, I get 20 minutes to walk. Right. So someone stops and talks to me for that 20 minutes, there goes my exercise for the day. And that's hard. Um, and I think that's just the reality of most people, but I, I wouldn't, what I try not to do is let that discourage me from what I know will make my life better. Um, and so, trying to step back and say either either maybe I just brushed that neighbor off and took the walk that day well maybe that's okay (laughs) you know there's always tomorrow or the day that I stop to say you know I was exercising a different part of my life I was exercising Mm. some relationship muscles instead of you know the the body muscles that I thought that I was exercising so give yourself a lot of grace in it that's also the beautiful thing about neighboring right is tomorrow when you wake up those people are still gonna be your neighbors (laughs) you get another chance um whereas if you go someplace else and do something and it doesn't go the way you want, you don't always get those chances. So neighboring, one of the beautiful things about it is that you have, you have time, you have, you can have grace for yourself. You can have a busy season and then show up in the spring with some more margin and some more intentionality and find some joy in neighboring. It it doesn't have to be, it's, it's not a today or never kind of thing. You're going to have neighbors, I'm telling you, for the very rest of your life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Unless you put yourself on an island. Yeah. And that's not uh-huh. fun. <laughs> well, you've given me permission to speak the elephant in the room, which mm-hmm. I'm going to do to the people who moved in across the street from us literally like eight months ago. Uh-huh. And I kept saying to Justin, I need to go introduce myself. I need to go bring them something and welcome uh-huh. to the neighborhood. And here I am eight months later. They mm-hmm. live directly across the street. I've maybe waved at the wife 
a handful of times. And now I was like, oh, it's too late. You know, I missed that <laughs> that boat. But now it's it, I can go over there and just say, hey, I've been meaning to do this for the last eight months. I'm so mm-hmm. sorry. Uh-huh. Um, welcome to the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that you're here. And she'll be like, has it been eight months already? I can't believe it because she's been busy. So I think that's the other thing, whether you're talking about cross-cultural or neighboring or whatever, sometimes we get really caught up in like other people are going to think this about Mm -hmm. us. And let me just tell you, not very many people are spending very much time thinking about you. They're thinking about all their stuff. So give yourself permission to be like, you know what? They're not worried about me. They're just going to be happy. I'm worried about me. They're not. <laughs> They're just going to be happy that I'm here. They're going to be happy to have hear this nice word or, or be the recipient of whatever gift it is that I have to give, whether that's a, a gift of a, a question, a gift of a, a compliment, a gift of a thing. Um, they're going to be happy. They're not spending a lot of time worried about judging they're just not. They're busy. <laughs> the rest of the world is busy. Do you mind sharing what it's like to be part of a community that is largely Caucasian um, and then to have your beautiful family who is a little bit of both? Right, right. Um, I'm just wondering what that experience has been like for you. It has been brutal as they say so there's a lot of beauty in it and there's there's some real real hardships in being different um and that that's just a reality every family has hardships um and so that's a reality for all of us i would say but we have some unique um opportunities we and we have some unique challenges because of um being a a, a mixed family um I think one thing is that we're not just a mixed family, but we're an international family, um, which is different. And But you can't necessarily tell that just by looking at our faces. So my husband's not African-American. He's Haitian. So his upbringing is different than... Uh, than if he grew up in America uh, as a as a black man in America, so he has different experiences, different opinions, different you know ways that that he grew up, um, and yet we are living the existence of um, he's living the existence now of a black man in America, and my kids are growing up then as biracial kids with with more of. Um, needing an understanding of what it means to grow up as black or brown in America and neither my husband or I did. So we're trying to raise kids into a, to live into a culture that we didn't grow up in. Uh, so that's a, that's a unique challenge um, that we're trying to help them navigate. But, you know, some of, some of the pain, some of the hurts, some of the history, some of the information we, we just don't have. <laughs> we have to go out and look for it, um, which is where some of our neighbors have been you know, really helpful what I challenge you to, no matter where you live, is um, one of the indicators of neighborhood health is actually in our system, we have 12 indicators of a healthy neighborhood. And one of them is, does every culture feel comfortable in your neighborhood? Um, and it wasn't until recently, actually, and the pandemic where everyone stayed home that I realized actually how diverse my subdivision is. It's much more diverse than I recognized when we moved in. Um, but because uh, it's because different cultures behave differently in a neighborhood. So uh, they, there's not a lot of African-American families um, or even Asian-American families that live in our neighborhood who walk all the time. It's not, it's not a part of their the cultural, what they do, or potentially even a way that they feel safe. Mm-hmm. 
um, in my neighborhood. But the pandemic kind of brought us all out. And I was like, oh, there's more diversity here than I recognized. And so I, you know, try to be really intentional about not only building those relationships, but then asking those families, what is your experience in the school system that I might be missing, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. that my kids are experiencing that I might not see. So that's kind of our experience. My husband's really intentional to be seen with us a lot um, so that people view him in a positive way um, in my neighborhood. Um, and that's something I learned later. I just, I didn't, re- I didn't realize <laughs> uh, until some of the, you know, the news stories that came out in the past couple of years. Um, he sort of confessed, well, yeah, that's why, <laughs> why I, I stay with you as a family so that people know I'm a family person and that I belong in this neighborhood, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so it's, it's another reason why we're really intentional about knowing our neighbors. So if they see him in the middle of the night, they, they know he belongs there and they, they feel safe and he doesn't, he's not in danger in that way. Okay. That makes me so sad. It breaks my heart. And it, it, it makes me think of a post on our neighborhood Facebook page about a year ago There was an African-American family that moved in, and the mom posted a picture of her teenage son Mm -hmm. and said, hey, I just want you guys to know this is my son. He loves to run outside, Mm -hmm. and he wears a hoodie, Mm -hmm. and I want you to know he is a wonderful kid. He's just running to get exercise. Mm -hmm. And I was like, as a mom, I think that was maybe the first time that I – and I can't get it because it's not my experience, but that I related mm-hmm. to that fear that because of my white privilege, I've never had to worry about my kids in that way. Mm-hmm. And it makes me sad, but it also, I see why she felt the need to post that. Yeah, I think one of the important things, um, the important things of living in a neighborhood is, you know, to recognize other people's experience to feel the emotion of that and to, mm-hmm. and to hold on to that. But I think one thing that happens sometimes is we get stuck in that emotion and then that emotion can drive further action that we don't necessarily want. So either it drives pity in a way that mm-hmm. keeps relationship from developing right. um, or it drives um, some extra like guilt and pushback. Well, I would have never called. Why did they do that? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so to feel the emotion that you feel about a, a recognizing that someone's lived experience is different than yours in in America, um, but then to move past that emotion to to recognize it, to mark it, to know it, um, but then to go beyond it. Because not only is a boy that is he a boy that loves to run and that makes him you know safe in your neighborhood and whatever he's a boy who has a math test tomorrow he's a boy that has all the complexities that your boy has <laughs> or that your child has so he's gonna have good days and bad days and he's gonna be awesome and he's gonna mouth off sometimes you know so to move beyond the emotion and just to then recognize that as a as a person who's going to have all the same things in personhood that, that you do. I don't know if that's helpful, but it, it's been helpful to me. It's also, I, I went to this training and it was, I had, I had this experience that you would think I wouldn't have. Right. So I'm up at seven o'clock in the morning one day and I look across the backyard and there's a very, um, there's a large black man standing in the backyard behind mine. And I had this moment of panic, like this moment of fear and panic. And 
that seems like that should I shouldn't, right? <laughs> but I did. You can't help what those emotions are. But what I what I learned in some some training is it's not the first thought, it's the second thought. Mm-hmm. So I had that moment of fear and panic because of what the media has said to me, because intuitively, although I don't know the neighbors that live in that house, honestly, they've I've never seen them outside. I, d- I was pretty sure he didn't live there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so I had that moment of panic for a real reason and for a made-up reason. Um, but here's what the, the recommendation was, is to, to think twice. So then assess the a risk of the situation. Okay, so he's... Okay, so there's some risk there, right? He's a person that doesn't belong in my neighborhood in the backyard at 7 o'clock in the morning. What's the next thing? How's he dressed? Oh, he's dressed in work clothes. What's the next thing? Oh, the grass is long. What's the next thing? Oh, he's mowing their lawn, (laughs) right? And now I don't have any panic anymore. So recognize the emotion and then move past it. Because a lot of the phone calls, a lot of the dangerous things that happen in our country are because people reacted to that first first emotion and not went through and assessed the rest of the risk. So if someone saw my husband in the backyard at seven in the morning, first of all, they'd probably be like, oh, that's (laughs) that's <laughs> that man belongs there. He lives in the neighborhood. But if they didn't know that, then they could be like, oh, he's wearing slippers. You know, probably he lives there or, oh, he's fixing the 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 lights or, oh, he's he's setting the sprinkler. It's those next thoughts that actually then can tell you if it's a risky situation or not, because let's let's be honest, it could be risky. No matter what color the person is, mm-hmm. it could be risky. So, but it's not to just go with your first uh, impression, but go to the next one. That's great advice. I love that. I just continue to learn so much from you, Jennifer. And it's like, thank you, God, for putting you in my life and being one of the first people that I could talk to. You and I was like, I- I don't even know how I got a church job (laughs) and I'm supposed to talk to you about things with community groups and I don't have a clue. And in just our short time of knowing each other, I have learned so many things. And I have said this to um, you before and to others, like I have had Jennifer, we will be talking and I'm like, can you email me what you just said? Because I <laughs> need to refer so back to it. And it's so, so, so true. And, like, I just wish – I'm sure there are multiple Jennifers out there. People need a Jennifer profit in their life. Yes, <laughs> I, I do. I totally agree. You're so kind. Totally agree. <laughs> so as we wrap things up, um, tell our listeners where they can find more information about the Hopeful Neighborhood Project. And uh, I think that – there might be a lot of people who want to dig a little bit deeper. Yeah. Well, I will. Uh, so hopefulneighborhood.org, um, just spelled out, hopefulneighborhood.org. And we have information on that site. We have stories, uh, if you resonate with stories of how people are living into into neighboring. We also have a lot of, like, quick little tips. We have workshops to help you create something that you can take to your neighbors if you're, like, oh, that person moved in eight months ago and I want to take them. This is how I am. I'm like, I want to take them something, but I am no Martha Stewart, yeah. right? <laughs> um, but don't worry. Someone on my team is. There and you go, so Laura. <laughs> you're set. You're set. So like tonight, for example, we're doing a workshop where people will join us virtually. We send a packet ahead of time. They make a little thing and then they'll go and take it to their neighbors. Um, and so we do those kinds of things quarterly. And then we have some deeper materials where you could really like dig into what are, what's neighbor well-being and what gifts do I have and how could I share them so 
we have something for all levels of people who are interested in neighboring. So if you've been a neighbor for a long time and you're like, I got this down, I know everybody, they're on speed dial, I can say the eight doors around my house, then we have some, some materials to help you like harness the gifts and do something really good together to pursue the common good. If you're like, I've never talked to anybody, we've got some things for you mm -hmm. too. <laughs> I love that. And I've checked some of those resources out. There's some great ideas to do with your kids too, yeah. as a family. Yes. Yes. And moms and dads, like we are the examples for our kids. So I think it's important um, that we make this a family effort as well. Yeah. Well, and your kids are a great icebreaker actually. And some of my closest neighbor relationships are because of our kids and because our kids play together, they go to school together or, you know, what, whatever. Kids are just a, a great icebreaker. And my, my neighbors, I don't, there's something about me that people would just like to give me things. So for <laughs> ever, anytime I'm walking, like people, People just come out of their houses and give us stuff. Literally, I want that gift. I, want, I don't know. I'm always like, I'm gonna start walking with Jennifer. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe helpless. Please help me. Something like that. I mean, we've gotten Heelys, stuffed animals, plants, roses. I mean, you name it. We've gotten it all. But I actually think it's it's um my kids actually that people want to connect with mm. them and they want to connect with our family yeah. and so they do it through like an easy icebreaker of like can I give your kid this this thing um, and I think that that's a beautiful thing so if you have kids yes get them engaged but also uh, get them living that way but um, just live into how other people respond to children because that's a good way to mm -hmm. form relationships. So we will have all of this information on our show notes page and also at normalgoesalongway.com. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Normal Goes a Long Way. Jennifer, thank you so much for taking the time and being such a great neighbor. Yeah, well, don't ask my actual neighbors. They'll tell you about my messy backyard, my long grass. But, <laughs> <laughs> but this has been a pleasure. Thank you. I always love talking to you guys. Thank you.